Revolution and Other Essays by Jack London, published 1910. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Section 1 Revolution. The present is enough for common souls who never looking forward are indeed mere clay wherein the footprints of their age are petrified forever i received a letter the other day it was from a man in arizona it began dear comrade it ended yours for the revolution i replied to the letter and my letter began dear comrade it ended yours for the revolution in the united states there are four hundred thousand men of men and women nearly one million who begin their letters dear comrade and end them yours for the revolution in germany there are three million men who begin their letters dear comrade and end them yours for the revolution in france one million men in austria eight hundred thousand men in belgium three hundred thousand men in italy two hundred and fifty thousand men in england one hundred thousand men in switzerland one hundred thousand men in denmark fifty five thousand men in sweden fifty thousand men in holland forty thousand men in spain thirty thousand men comrades all and revolutionists these are numbers which dwarf the grand armies of napoleon and xerxes but they are numbers not of conquest and maintenance of the established order but of conquest and revolution they compose when the roll is called an army of seven million men who in accordance with the conditions of today are fighting with all their might for the conquest of the wealth of the world and for the complete overthrow of existing society there has never been anything like this revolution in the history of the world there is nothing analogous between it and the american revolution or the french revolution it is unique colossal other revolutions compare with it as asteroids compare with the sun it is alone of its kind the first world revolution in a world whose history is replete with revolutions and not only this for it is the first organized movement of men to become a world movement limited only by the limits of the planet this revolution is unlike all other revolutions in many respects it is not sporadic it is not a flame of popular discontent arising in a day and dying down in a day it is older than the present generation it has a history and traditions and a martyr role only less extensive possibly than the martyr role of christianity it has also a literature in myriad times more imposing scientific and scholarly than the literature of any previous revolution they call themselves comrades these men comrades in the socialist revolution nor is the word empty and meaningless coined of mere lip service it knits men together as brothers as men should be knit together who stand shoulder to shoulder under the red banner of revolt this red banner by the way symbolizes the brotherhood of man and does not symbolize the incendiarism that instantly connects itself with the red banner in the affrighted bourgeois mind the comradeship of the revolutionists is alive and warm 
it passes over geographical lines transcends race prejudice and has even proved itself mightier than the fourth of july spread eagle americanism of our forefathers the french socialist workingmen and the german socialist workingmen forget alsace and lorraine and when war threatens pass resolutions declaring that as workingmen and comrades they have no quarrel with each other only the other day when japan and russia sprang at each other's throats the revolutionists of japan addressed the following message to the revolutionists of russia dear comrades your government and ours have recently plunged into war to carry out their imperialistic tendencies but for us socialists there are no boundaries race country or nationality we are comrades brothers and sisters and have no reason to fight your enemies are not the japanese people but our militarism and so-called patriotism patriotism and militarism are our mutual enemies in january 1905 throughout the united states the socialists held mass meetings to express their sympathy for their struggling comrades the revolutionists of russia and more to the point to furnish the sinews of war by collecting money and cabling it to the russian leaders the fact of this call for money and the ready response and the very wording of the call make a striking and practical demonstration of the international solidarity of this world revolution whatever may be the immediate results of the present revolt in russia the socialist propaganda in that country has received from it an impetus unparalleled in the history of modern class wars the heroic battle for freedom is being fought almost exclusively by the russian working class under the intellectual leadership of russian socialists thus once more demonstrating the fact that the class-conscious working men have become the vanguard of all liberating movements of modern times here are seven million comrades in an organized international worldwide revolutionary movement here is a tremendous human force it must be reckoned with here is power and here is romance romance so colossal that it seems to be beyond the ken of ordinary mortals these revolutionists are swayed by great passion they have a keen sense of personal right much of reverence for humanity but little reverence if any at all for the rule of the dead they refuse to be ruled by the dead to the bourgeois mind their unbelief in the dominant conventions of the established order is startling they laugh to scorn the sweet ideals and dear moralities of bourgeois society they intend to destroy bourgeois society with most of its sweet ideals and dear moralities and chiefest among these are those that group themselves under such heads as private ownership of capital survival of the fittest and patriotism even patriotism such an army of revolution seven million strong is a thing to make rulers and ruling classes pause and consider the cry of this army is no quarter we want all that you possess we will be content with nothing less than all that you possess we want in our hands the reins of power and the destiny of mankind here are our hands they are strong hands we are going to take your governments your palaces and all your purple ease away from you and in that day you shall work for your bread even as the peasant in the field or the starved and runty clerk in your metropolises here are our hands they are strong hands well may rulers and ruling classes pause and consider 
this is revolution and further these seven million men are not an army on paper their fighting strength in the field is seven million today they cast seven million votes in the civilized countries of the world yesterday they were not so strong tomorrow they will be still stronger and they are fighters they love peace they are unafraid of war they intend nothing less than to destroy existing capitalist society and to take possession of the whole world if the law of the land permits they fight for this end peaceably at the ballot box if the law of the land does not permit and if they have force meted out to them they resort to force themselves they meet violence with violence their hands are strong and they are unafraid in russia for instance there is no suffrage the government executes the revolutionists the revolutionists kill the officers of the government the revolutionists meet legal murder with assassination now here arises a particularly significant phase which it would be well for the rulers to consider let me make it concrete i am a revolutionist yet i am a fairly sane and normal individual i speak and i think of these assassins in russia as my comrades so do all the comrades in america and all the seven million comrades in the world of what worth an organized international revolutionary movement if our comrades are not backed up the world over the worth is shown by the fact that we do back up the assassinations by our comrades in russia they are not disciples of tolstoy nor are we we are revolutionists our comrades in russia have formed what they call the fighting organization this fighting organization accused tried found guilty and condemned to death one sepiaguin minister of interior on april second he was shot and killed in the mariinsky palace two years later the fighting organization condemned to death and executed another minister of interior von flev having done so it issued a document dated july twenty ninth nineteen o four setting forth the counts of its indictment of von flev and its responsibility for the assassination now and to the point this document was sent out to the socialists of the world and by them was published everywhere in the magazines and newspapers the point is not that the socialists of the world were unafraid to do it not that they dared to do it but that they did it as a matter of routine giving publication to what may be called an official document of the international revolutionary movement these are highlights upon the revolution granted but they are also facts and they are given to the rulers and the ruling classes not in bravado not to frighten them but for them to consider more deeply the spirit and nature of this world revolution the time has come for the revolution to demand consideration it has fastened upon every civilized country in the world as fast as a country becomes civilized the revolution fastens upon it with the introduction of the machine into japan socialism was introduced socialism marched into the philippines shoulder to shoulder with the american soldiers the echoes of the last gun had scarcely died away when socialist locals were forming in cuba and puerto rico vastly more significant is the fact that of all the countries the revolution has fastened upon on not one has it relaxed its grip on the contrary on every country its grip closes tighter year by year 
as an active movement it began obscurely over a generation ago in 1867 its voting strength in the world was 30,000 by 1871 its vote had increased to 100,000 not till 1884 did it pass the half million point by 1889 it had passed the million point it had then gained momentum in 1892 the socialist vote of the world was 1,798,391 in 1893 2,585,898 in 1895 3,033,718 in 1898, 4,515,591. In 1902, 5,253,054. In 1903, 6,285,374. And in the year of our Lord, 1905, it passed the 7 million mark. Nor has this flame of revolution left the United States untouched in 1888 there were only 2068 socialist votes in 1902 there were 127,713 socialist votes and in 1904 435,040 socialist votes were cast what fanned this flame not hard times the first four years of the 20th century were considered prosperous years yet in that time more than 300,000 men added themselves to the ranks of the revolutionists flinging their defiance in the teeth of bourgeois society and taking their stand under the blood-red banner in the state of the writer california one man in twelve is an avowed and registered revolutionist one thing must be clearly understood this is no spontaneous and vague uprising of a large mass of discontented and miserable people a blind and instinctive recoil from hurt on the contrary the propaganda is intellectual the movement is based upon economic necessity and is in line with social evolution while the miserable people have not yet revolted the revolutionist is no starved and diseased slave in the shambles at the bottom of the social pit but is in the main a hardy well-fed working man who sees the shambles waiting for him and his children and recoils from the descent the very miserable people are too helpless to help themselves but they are being helped and the day is not far distant when their numbers will go to swell the ranks of the revolutionists another thing must be clearly understood in spite of the fact that middle-class men and professional men are interested in the movement it is nevertheless a distinctly working-class revolt the world over it is a working-class revolt the workers of the world as a class are fighting the capitalists of the world as a class the so-called great middle class is a growing anomaly in the social struggle it is a perishing class wily statisticians to the contrary and its historic mission of buffer between the capitalist and working classes has just about been fulfilled little remains for it but to wail as it passes into oblivion as it has already begun to wail in accents populistic and jeffersonian democratic the fight is on the revolution is here now and it is the world's workers that are in revolt naturally the question arises why is this so no mere whim of the spirit can give rise to a world revolution whim does not conduce to unanimity 
there must be a deep-seated cause to make seven million men of the one mind to make them cast off allegiance to the bourgeois gods and lose faith in so fine a thing as patriotism there are many counts of the indictment which the revolutionists bring against the capitalist class but for present use only one need be stated and it is a count to which capital has never replied and can never reply the capitalist class has managed society and its management has failed and not only has it failed in its management but it has failed deplorably ignobly horribly the capitalist class had an opportunity such as was vouchsafed no previous ruling class in the history of the world it broke away from the rule of the old feudal aristocracy and made modern society it mastered matter organized the machinery of life and made possible a wonderful era for mankind wherein no creature should cry aloud because it had not enough to eat and wherein for every child there would be opportunity for education for intellectual and spiritual uplift matter being mastered and the machinery of life organized all this was possible here was the chance god-given and the capitalist class failed it was blind and greedy it prattled sweet ideals and dear moralities rubbed its eyes not once nor ceased one whit in its greediness and smashed down in a failure as tremendous only as was the opportunity it had ignored but all this is like so much cobwebs to the bourgeois mind as it was blind in the past it is blind now and cannot see nor understand well then let the indictment be stated more definitely in terms sharp and unmistakable in the first place consider the caveman he was a very simple creature his head slanted back like an orangutan's and he had but little more intelligence he lived in a hostile environment the prey of all manner of fierce life he had no inventions nor artifices his natural efficiency for food getting was say one he did not even till the soil with his natural efficiency of one he fought off his carnivorous enemies and got himself food and shelter he must have done all this else he would not have multiplied and spread over the earth and sent his progeny down generation by generation to become even you and me the caveman with his natural efficiency of one got enough to eat most of the time and no caveman went hungry all of the time also he lived a healthy open-air life loafed and rested himself and found plenty of time in which to exercise his imagination and invent gods that is to say he did not have to work all his waking moments in order to get enough to eat the child of the caveman and this is true of the children of all savage peoples had a childhood and by that is meant a happy childhood of play and development and now how fares modern man consider the united states the most prosperous and most enlightened country of the world in the united states there are ten million people living in poverty by poverty is meant that condition in life in which through lack of food and adequate shelter the mere standard of working efficiency cannot be maintained in the united states there are ten million people who have not enough to eat in the united states because they have not enough to eat there are ten million people who cannot keep the ordinary one measure of strength in their bodies this means that these ten million people are perishing 
are dying, body and soul, slowly, because they have not enough to eat. All over this broad, prosperous, enlightened land are men, women, and children who are living miserably. In all the great cities, where they are segregated in slum ghettos by hundreds of thousands and by millions, their misery becomes beastliness. No caveman ever starved as chronically as they starve, ever slept as vilely as they sleep, ever festered with rottenness and disease as they fester, nor ever toiled as hard and for as long hours as they toil. In Chicago there is a woman who toiled sixty hours per week. She was a garment worker. She sewed buttons on clothes. Among the Italian garment workers of Chicago, the average weekly wage of the dressmakers is ninety cents. But they work every week in the year. The average weekly wage of the pants finishers is a dollar and thirty-one cents, and the average number of weeks employed in the year is twenty-seven point eight five. The average yearly earnings of the dressmakers is thirty-seven dollars, of the pants finishers forty-two dollars and forty-one cents. Such wages means no childhood for the children, beastliness of living, and starvation for all. Unlike the caveman, modern man cannot get food and shelter whenever he feels like working for it. Modern man has first to find the work, and in this he is often unsuccessful. Then misery becomes acute. This acute misery is chronicled daily in the newspapers. Let several of the countless instances be cited. In New York City lived a woman, Mary Mead. She had three children, Mary, one-year-old, Johanna, two-years-old, Alice, four years old. Her husband could find no work. They starved. They were evicted from their shelter at 160 Steuben Street. Mary Mead strangled her baby Mary, one year old, strangled Alice, four years old, failed to strangle Johanna, two years old, and then herself took poison. Said the father to the police, Constant poverty had driven my wife insane. We lived at number 160 Steuben Street until a week ago when we were dispossessed. I could get no work. I could not even make enough to put food into our mouths. The babies grew ill and weak. My wife cried nearly all the time. So overwhelmed is the Department of Charities with tens of thousands of applications from men out of work that it finds itself unable to cope with the situation. New York Commercial, January 11, 1905 in a daily paper, because he cannot get work in order to get something to eat, modern man advertises as follows. Young man, good education, unable to obtain employment, will sell to physician and bacteriologist for experimental purposes all right and title to his body. Address for price, Box 3466, Examiner. Frank A. Mallon went to the Central Police Station Wednesday night and asked to be locked up on a charge of vagrancy. He said he had been conducting an unsuccessful search for work for so long that he was sure he must be a vagrant. In any event, he was so hungry he must be fed. Police Judge Graham sentenced him to 90 days imprisonment. San Francisco Examiner In a room at the Soto House, 32 Fourth Street, San Francisco, was found the body of W.J. Robbins. He had turned on the gas. Also was found his diary, from which the following extracts are made. March 3. No chance of getting anything here. What will I do? March 7. Cannot find anything yet. March 8. Am living on donuts at five cents a day. March 9. 
my last quarter gone for room rent march ten god help me have only five cents left can get nothing to do what next starvation or question mark i have spent my last nickel tonight what shall i do shall it be steal beg or die i have never stolen begged or starved in all my fifty years of life but now i am on the brink death seems the only refuge march eleventh sick all day burning fever this afternoon had nothing to eat today or since yesterday noon my head my head Goodbye, all how fares the child of modern man in this most prosperous of lands in the city of new york fifty thousand children go hungry to school every morning from the same city on january twelfth a press dispatch was sent out over the country of a case reported by dr a e daniel of the new york infirmary for women and children the case was that of a babe eighteen months old who earned by its labor fifty cents per week in a tenement sweatshop on a pile of rags in a room bare of furniture and freezing cold mrs mary gallon dead from starvation with an emaciated baby four months old crying at her breast was found this morning at five thirteen myrtle avenue brooklyn by policeman mcconnon of the flushing avenue station huddled together for warmth in another part of the room were the father james gallon and three children ranging from two to eight years of age the children gazed at the policeman much as ravenous animals might have done they were famished and there was not a vestige of food in their comfortless home new york journal january second nineteen o two in the united states eighty thousand children are toiling out their lives in the textile mills alone in the south they work twelve-hour shifts they never see the day those on the night shift are asleep when the sun pours its life and warmth over the world while those on the day shift are at the machines before dawn and return to their miserable dens called homes after dark many receive no more than ten cents a day there are babies who work for five and six cents a day those who work on the night shift are often kept awake by having cold water dashed in their faces there are children six years of age who have already to their credit eleven months work on the night shift when they become sick and are unable to rise from their beds to go to work there are men employed to go on horseback from house to house and cajole and bully them into arising and going to work ten percent of them contract active consumption all are puny wrecks distorted stunted mind and body Albert Hubbard says of the child laborers of the southern cotton mills quote, I thought to lift one of the little toilers to ascertain his weight straight away through his 35 pounds of skin and bones there ran a tremor of fear and he struggled forward to tie a broken thread I attracted his attention by a touch and offered him a silver dime he looked at me dumbly from a face that might have belonged to a man of 60 so furrowed tightly drawn and full of pain it was he did not reach for the money he did not know what it was there were dozens of such children in this particular mill a physician who was with me said that they would all be dead probably in two years and their places filled by others there were plenty more pneumonia carries off most of them their systems are ripe for disease and when it comes there is no rebound no response medicine simply does not act nature is whipped beaten discouraged and the child sinks into a stupor and dies End quote. 
so fares modern man and the child of modern man in the united states most prosperous and enlightened of all countries on earth it must be remembered that the instances given are instances only but they can be multiplied myriads of times it must also be remembered that what is true of the united states is true of all the civilized world such misery was not true of the caveman then what has happened has the hostile environment of the caveman grown more hostile for his descendants has the caveman's natural efficiency of one for food getting and shelter getting diminished in modern man to one half or one quarter on the contrary the hostile environment of the caveman has been destroyed for modern man it no longer exists all carnivorous enemies the daily menace of the younger world have been killed off many of the species of prey have become extinct here and there in secluded portions of the world still linger a few of man's fiercer enemies but they are far from being a menace to mankind modern man when he wants recreation and change goes to the secluded portions of the world for a hunt also in idle moments he wails regretfully at the passing of the big game which he knows in the not distant future will disappear from the earth nor since the day of the caveman has man's efficiency for food getting and shelter getting diminished it has increased a thousandfold since the day of the caveman matter has been mastered the secrets of matter have been discovered its laws have been formulated wonderful artifices have been made and marvelous inventions all tending to increase tremendously man's natural efficiency in every food-getting shelter-getting exertion in farming mining manufacturing transportation and communication from the caveman to the hand workers of three generations ago the increase in efficiency for food and shelter-getting has been very great but in this day by machinery the efficiency of the hand worker of three generations ago has in turn been increased many times formerly it required two hundred hours of human labor to place one hundred tons of ore on a railroad car today aided by machinery but two hours of human labor is required to do the same task the united states bureau of labor is responsible for the following table showing the comparatively recent increase in man's food and shelter gathering efficiency barley 100 bushels machine hours 9 hand hours 211 corn 50 bushels shelled stalks husks and blades cut into fodder machine hours 34 hand hours 228 oats 160 bushels machine hours 28 hand hours 265 wheat 50 bushels machine hours 7 hand hours 160 loading ore loading 100 tons iron ore on cars machine hours 2 hand hours 200 unloading coal transferring 200 tons from canal boats to bins 400 feet distance machine hours 20 hand hours 240 pitchforks 50 pitchforks 12 inch tines machine hours 12 hand hours 200 plow one landside plow oak beams and handles machine hours three hand hours 118 according to the same authority under the best conditions for organization in farming labor can produce 20 bushels of wheat for 66 cents or one bushel for three and a half cents 
this was done on a bonanza farm of ten thousand acres in california and was the average cost of the whole product of the farm mr carroll d wright says that today four million five hundred thousand men aided by machinery turn out a product that would require the labor of forty million men if produced by hand professor herzog of austria says that five million people with the machinery of today employed at socially useful labor would be able to supply a population of twenty million people with all the necessaries and small luxuries of life by working one and a half hours per day this being so matter being mastered man's efficiency for food and shelter getting being increased a thousandfold over the efficiency of the caveman then why is it that millions of modern men live more miserably than lived the caveman this is the question the revolutionist asks and he asks it of the managing class the capitalist class the capitalist class does not answer it the capitalist class cannot answer it if modern man's food and shelter getting efficiency is a thousandfold greater than that of the caveman why then are there ten million people in the united states today who are not properly sheltered and properly fed if the child of the caveman did not have to work why then today in the united states are eighty thousand children working out their lives in the textile factories alone if the child of the caveman did not have to work why then today in the united states are there one million seven hundred fifty two thousand one hundred eighty seven child laborers it is a true count in the indictment the capitalist class has mismanaged is today mismanaging in new york city fifty thousand children go hungry to school and in new york city there are one thousand three hundred and twenty millionaires the point however is not that the mass of mankind is miserable because of the wealth the capitalist class has taken to itself far from it the point really is that the mass of mankind is miserable not for want of the wealth taken by the capitalist class but for want of the wealth that was never created this wealth was never created because the capitalist class managed too wastefully and irrationally the capitalist class blind and greedy grasping madly has not only not made the best of its management but made the worst of it it is a management prodigiously wasteful this point cannot be emphasized too strongly in face of the facts that modern man lives more wretchedly than the caveman and that modern man's food and shelter getting efficiency is a thousandfold greater than that of the caveman's no other solution is possible than that the management is prodigiously wasteful with the natural resources of the world the machinery already invented a rational organization of production and distribution and an equally rational elimination of waste the able-bodied workers would not have to labor more than two or three hours per day to feed everybody clothe everybody house everybody educate everybody and give a fair measure of little luxuries to everybody there would be no more material want and wretchedness no more children toiling out their lives no more men and women and babes living like beasts and dying like beasts not only would matter be mastered but the machine would be mastered in such a day incentive would be finer and nobler than the incentive of today which is the incentive of the stomach no man woman or child would be impelled to action by an empty stomach
on the contrary, they would be impelled to action as a child in a spelling match is impelled to action, as boys and girls at games, as scientists formulating law, as inventors applying law, as artists and sculptors painting canvases and shaping clay, as poets and statesmen serving humanity by singing and by statecraft. The spiritual, intellectual, and artistic uplift consequent upon such a condition of society would be tremendous all the human world would surge upward in a mighty wave this was the opportunity vouchsafed the capitalist class less blindness on its part less greediness and irrational management were all that was necessary a wonderful era was possible for the human race but the capitalist class failed it made a shambles of civilization nor can the capitalist class plead not guilty it knew of the opportunity its wise men told of the opportunity its scholars and its scientists told it of the opportunity all that they said is there today in the books just so much damning evidence against it it would not listen it was too greedy it rose up as it rises up today shamelessly in our legislative halls and declared that profits were impossible without the toil of children and babes it lulled its conscience to sleep with prattle of sweet ideals and dear moralities and allowed the suffering and misery of mankind to continue and to increase in short the capitalist class failed to take advantage of the opportunity but the opportunity is still here the capitalist class has been tried and found wanting remains the working class to see what it can do with the opportunity but the working class is incapable says the capitalist class what do you know about it the working class replies because you have failed is no reason that we shall fail furthermore we are going to have a try at it anyway seven millions of us say so and what have you to say to that and what can the capitalist class say grant the incapacity of the working class grant that the indictment and the argument of the revolutionists are all wrong the seven million revolutionists remain their existence is a fact their belief in their capacity and in their indictment and their argument is a fact their constant growth is a fact their intention to destroy present-day society is a fact as is also their intention to take possession of the world with all its wealth and machinery and governments moreover it is a fact that the working class is vastly larger than the capitalist class the revolution is a revolution of the working class how can the capitalist class in the minority stem this tide of revolution what has it to offer what does it offer employers associations injunctions civil suits for plundering of the treasuries of the labor unions clamor and combination for the open shop bitter and shameless opposition to the eight-hour day strong efforts to defeat all reform child labor bills graft in every municipal council strong lobbies and bribery in every legislature for the purchase of capitalist legislation bayonets machine guns policemen's clubs professional strike breakers and armed pinkertons these are the things the capitalist class is dumping in front of the tide of revolution as though forsooth to hold it back 
the capitalist class is as blind today to the menace of the revolution as it was blind in the past to its own god-given opportunity it cannot see how precarious is its position cannot comprehend the power and the portent of the revolution it goes on its placid way prattling sweet ideals and dear moralities and scrambling sordidly for material benefits no overthrown ruler or class in the past ever considered the revolution that overthrew it and so with the capitalist class of today instead of compromising instead of lengthening its lease of life by conciliation and by removal of some of the harsher oppressions of the working class it antagonizes the working class drives the working class into revolution every broken strike in recent years every legally plundered trades union treasury every closed shop made into an open shop has driven the members of the working class directly hurt over to socialism by hundreds and thousands show a working man that his union fails and he becomes a revolutionist break a strike with an injunction or bankrupt a union with a civil suit and the working men hurt thereby listen to the siren song of the socialist and are lost forever to the political capitalist parties antagonism never lulled revolution and antagonism is about all the capitalist class offers it is true it offers some few antiquated notions which were very efficacious in the past but which are no longer efficacious fourth of july liberty in terms of the declaration of independence and of the french encyclopedists is scarcely apposite today it does not appeal to the working man who has had his head broken by the policeman's club his union treasury bankrupted by a court decision or his job taken away from him by a labor-saving invention nor does the constitution of the united states appear so glorious and constitutional to the working man who has experienced a bullpen or been unconstitutionally deported from colorado nor are this particular working man's hurt feelings soothed by reading in the newspapers that both the bullpen and the deportation were preeminently just legal and constitutional to hell then with the constitution says he and another revolutionist has been made by the capitalist class in short so blind is the capitalist class that it does nothing to lengthen its lease of life while it does everything to shorten it the capitalist class offers nothing that is clean noble and alive the revolutionists offer everything that is clean noble and alive they offer service unselfishness sacrifice martyrdom the things that sting awake the imagination of the people touching their hearts with the fervor that arises out of the impulse toward good and which is essentially religious in its nature but the revolutionists blow hot and blow cold they offer facts and statistics economics and scientific arguments if the working man be merely selfish the revolutionists show him mathematically demonstrate to him that his condition will be bettered by the revolution if the working man be the higher type moved by impulses toward right conduct if he have soul and spirit the revolutionists offer him the things of the soul and the spirit and tremendous things that cannot be measured by dollars and cents nor be held down by dollars and cents the revolutionist cries out upon wrong and injustice and preaches righteousness and most potent of all he sings the eternal song of human freedom a song of all lands and all tongues and all time few members of the capitalist class see the revolution most of them are too ignorant and many are too afraid to see it 
it is the same old story of every perishing ruling class in the world's history fat with power and possession drunken with success and made soft by surfeit and by cessation of struggle they are like the drones clustered about the honey vats when the worker bees spring upon them to end their rotund existence president roosevelt vaguely sees the revolution is frightened by it and recoils from seeing it as he says above all we need to remember that any kind of class animosity in the political world is if possible even more wicked even more destructive to national welfare than sectional race or religious animosity class animosity in the political world president roosevelt maintains is wicked but class animosity in the political world is the preachment of the revolutionists let the class wars in the industrial world continue they say but extend the class war to the political world as their leader eugene v debs says so far as this struggle is concerned there is no good capitalist and no bad working man every capitalist is your enemy and every working man is your friend here is class animosity in the political world with a vengeance and here is revolution in 1888 there were only 2,000 revolutionists of this type in the United States in 1900 there were 127,000 revolutionists in 1904 435,000 revolutionists wickedness of the President Roosevelt definition evidently flourishes and increases in the United States quite so for it is the revolution that flourishes and increases here and there a member of the capitalist class catches a clear glimpse of the revolution and raises a warning cry but his class does not heed president elliot of harvard raised such a cry Quote, i am forced to believe there is a present danger of socialism never before so imminent in america in so dangerous a form because never before imminent in so well organized a form the danger lies in the obtaining control of the trades unions by the socialists and the capitalist employers instead of giving heed to the warnings are perfecting their strike-breaking organization and combining more strongly than ever for a general assault upon the dearest of all things to the trade unions the closed shop in so far as this assault succeeds by just that much will the capitalist class shorten its lease of life it is the old old story over again and over again the drunken drones still cluster greedily about the honey vats possibly one of the most amusing spectacles of today is the attitude of the american press toward the revolution it is also a pathetic spectacle it compels the onlooker to be aware of a distinct loss of pride in his species dogmatic utterance from the mouth of ignorance may make gods laugh but it should make men weep and the american editors in the general instance are so impressive about it the old divide up men are not born free and equal propositions are enunciated gravely and sagely as things white hot and new from the forge of human wisdom their feeble vaporings show no more than a schoolboy's comprehension of the nature of the revolution parasites themselves on the capitalist class serving the capitalist class by molding public opinion they too cluster drunkenly about the honey vats of course this is true only of the large majority of american editors to say that it is true of all of them would be to cast too great obloquy upon the human race 
also it would be untrue for here and there an occasional editor does see clearly and in his case ruled by stomach incentive is usually afraid to say what he thinks about it so far as the science and the sociology of the revolution are concerned the average editor is a generation or so behind the facts he is intellectually slothful accepts no facts until they are accepted by the majority and prides himself upon his conservatism he is an instinctive optimist prone to believe that what ought to be is the revolutionist gave this up long ago and believes not that what ought to be is but what is is and that it may not be what it ought to be at all now and then rubbing his eyes vigorously an editor catches a sudden glimpse of the revolution and breaks out in naive volubility as for instance the one who wrote the following in the chicago chronicle Quote, american socialists are revolutionists they know that they are revolutionists it is high time that other people should appreciate the fact End quote. a white-hot brand new discovery and he proceeded to shout it out from the housetops that we forsooth were revolutionists why it is just what we have been doing all these years shouting it out from the housetops that we are revolutionists and stop us who can the time should be passed for the mental attitude Quote, revolution is atrocious sir there is no revolution End quote. likewise should the time be passed for the other familiar attitude quote, socialism is slavery sir it will never be End quote. it is no longer a question of dialectics theories and dreams there is no question about it the revolution is a fact it is here now seven million revolutionists organized working day and night are preaching the revolution that passionate gospel the brotherhood of man not only is it a cold-blooded economic propaganda but it is in essence a religious propaganda with a fervor in it of paul and christ the capitalist class has been indicted it has failed in its management and its management is to be taken away from it seven million men of the working class say that they are going to get the rest of the working class to join with them and take the management away the revolution is here now stop it who can sacramento river march 1905 end of revolution by jack london